The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. What's happening, everybody? A good Sunday to you all, and welcome to another special weekend edition of Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. It's 17 of 17 so far here in the month of October. We're gone 31 shows in 31 days, more than halfway through, and just two days until the start of the NBA season. That's, that's nuts. In any event, I'm Dan Vesperus. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Vesperus. And you guys know how things are going right now. At the outset on these shows, we launch straight into some fantasy breakdown stuff. No screwing around. And at the beginning of today's broadcast, I bring you the case against Julius Randle. Sorry, Julius. It's not personal. But Julius Randle is pre-ranked number 29, which, by the way, um, shout-out to Yahoo, and by shout-out I am being extremely sarcastic. It's a disingenuous shout-out. We did their top 25 on yesterday's podcast, and they changed it this morning. Sunday morning, they rearranged their board. That's bullcrap. You can't be rearranging your board on the Sunday before the season starts. Nobody gets to see that board, Yahoo. For instance, Chris Paul, they moved him down four slots. He's back down near his ADP. It's almost like they're trying to match him up a little bit. Pretty fishy stuff, Yahoo. Pretty fishy stuff. In any event, Julius Randle's ADP is 27. And on their most recent now, as of today, iteration of their preseason ranks... Randall is pre-ranked 31. So they've been moving him down the board and down the board. It was 29, it was 31, it's a whole thing. But I bring you the case against Julius Randall at the front end of today's podcast. Julius had a marvelous 2020-2021 season. There is absolutely no arguing with that. He was brilliant. He was durable. Everything that you could have possibly wanted out of a a fantasy player, reality also, he provided. By totals, thanks to the fact that he played in 71 out of 72 ballgames, by totals, Julius Randle was number 15. So when I bring you this case against Julius, whatever, however we want to phrase this, it's a little bit of a hard sell given that he beat his ADP by a ton last year and he's a full round and a quarter ahead of his ADP this year. But the reason I bring you a case against Julius Randle is not because of the totals value, it's because of the per-game floor. And even maybe more so because of the per-game ceiling. Julius Randle, not unlike Mikkel Bridges, was the beneficiary of a massive totals bump. And I love Mikkel Bridges... DeAndre Ayton, also beneficiary of a totals bump. Middleton, Rozier. These are guys that are ranked between basically 35 and 50 last year who played in pretty much every ballgame. Robert Covington, Dan Vesper's favorite. 56 per game, 
but he played in 70 ball games last year. So by totals, we've talked about this before, so we need to go over it a bunch of times. By totals, he was number 20. Middleton, by totals, 19. Ayton, by totals, 18. Rozier, 17. Randall, as we just mentioned a moment ago, 15 by totals. But the reason to continue to love guys like Terry Rozier and Middleton and maybe more so Bridges is because of where they're getting drafted. Chris Middleton has a preseason rank of 37 on Yahoo, and he's the earliest of the guys I just read off. Mikhail Bridges has a preseason rank of 53. Rob Covington, 73. Who the hell else did I even say in that rant just a minute ago? It doesn't really matter. Um, Rozier, was that the one I've, I've left off the books here? Preseason rank of 69. But Julius Randle, up until this morning, in the 20s. Actually, what the hell's going on here? I keep getting, like, old versions and then new versions of their rank board. This is annoying. Where are these guys? What the hell is the actual... What, what are you guys projecting here, Yahoo? You've got it all over the map. Yeah, Randle back now at 31. Can you believe that? They moved him outside the top 30, right before we did this little bit. That's stupid. Randall's being drafted in the middle of the second in the middle, excuse me, of the third round. However, you slice it. We've seen him go as early as about 24. We've seen him go as late as about 32. But here's the problem. Julius Randall was number 38 on a per game basis last year, where basically every single thing broke his way. The Knicks had nobody else to function as an offensive option pretty much the entire season. A little bit of Derrick Rose at the end. Don't try to tell me that R.J. Barrett fills that role. He doesn't. So Randall got to take almost 19 shots a ball a game. Free throw stroke was solid last year at 81% for Julius. This is a guy who had not really been an 80-plus percent free throw shooter consistently at any point in his career. In fact, his previous season high was 73.3, and that was the, the very year before, also in New York. So he jumps from 73 to 81% at the free throw line. Field goal percent is not going to be that high while he's taking this volume of shot. Interesting little footnote, took 15.7 shots per game in New York the prior year, and then 18.6 this year. And 18 and change in the playoffs, where he couldn't make a single one of them. So New York went out and addressed their issue, which in large part was everybody on the team knew how to play Tom Thibodeau-level defense, which is playing real damn hard. And everybody was playing through injuries, and that's cool and all. But they had no one that could put pressure on an opposing team besides Randall. So get it into a playoff structure, allow teams to play as hard and prep as well as the Knicks generally did during the regular season, and they got beat up. Atlanta undressed them. So New York went out. They brought in Evan Fournier. They brought in Kemba Walker. Not that these are massive offensive difference makers, but they are guys who will take shots wherein a Knicks team last year didn't have those guys. They also brought back Alec Burks. They brought back Derrick Rose. They still have R.J. Barrett. There are now other guys on this roster that are going to be doing stuff on offense, whatever the hell you want to call it, stuff, 
besides Julius Randle. What we saw last year was basically the absolute maximum that he could or, frankly, should be asked to do. There's nowhere to go but down. I don't think the lack of usage this year, and it won't be lack, but it'll be a, it will be a step backwards, will be offset by any kind of efficiency jumps. We saw probably about as good as free throw is going to get. Field goal percent probably not going up because he generally takes kind of tough shots, and he's probably still the guy that takes the weird shots at the end of the shot clock. Maybe you see Kemba flash a few of those. But 24 points and 6 assists and 2.33 pointers and the high-volume free throw, now slightly positive impact stuff, his usage comes down, so his value comes down. And even if you only think it's a little bit, from 38 per game, a little bit drops him where? 44? 50? Probably 50. It's probably a round because guys start to get a little more bunched up by the time you get to the fourth round. Now you're talking again about a guy who basically needs to play in every ball game, And he might. You might get basically what Rob Covington was last year, which is a guy just outside the top 50 who played in almost every game, and so he ended up at number 20 by totals. That's how Julius beats his late 20s ADP. He plays in 80 out of 82 ball games. Is that really what you want to bank on from your third-round pick? A guy with late fourth to maybe even fifth-round per-game value who's just extremely durable? I don't want that. Because things can go wrong. If he turns one ankle, he doesn't get to his ADP. One. That's all it takes. And I know what you're saying. Dan, he made it last year. Why can't he make it again? He could. He absolutely could. But we play the percentages here on Fantasy NBA Today, and the percentages would indicate that if you have pick number 30 in your league, you shouldn't be looking for a top 50 per game guy who's probably durable. That's the wrong way to spend your third-round capital. You should be looking for someone who has a per-game mark near or above, or at the very worst, ever so slightly behind your draft slot, and is also somewhat durable. But if they're not, they better be an absolute dynamo on the per-game side. I bring this up because the guys that are getting drafted around Julius Randle this year, there are some pretty good examples of guys who just have a higher per-game upside. Julius Randle's 27th. You guys don't care about the guys going in front of him. We'll mention the guys going behind. Michael Porter Jr. actually has a later ADP than Julius Randle right now at 28.9, although Yahoo's adjusted pre-ranks are going to probably flip that before opening night. DeAndre Ayton, actually pretty freaking similar to Julius Randle overall this year, at least in terms of what they're... And Zion, the heck with that. Shea Gilgis-Alexander... Also not my favorite pick in that zone. Chris Paul, ADP of 31.3. I would be floored if Chris Paul's per-game production was behind Julius Randle. Beat him by two rounds in that department last year. And Julius is probably taking a step back. So even if Paul takes a step back, they're in kind of lockstep at that point. I mean, we're, again, we're talking about like pick 30 at this point. Who are the other guys behind here that had a better per-game mark than Randall last season? Did Chris Middleton? No, they were pretty damn close, actually. Randall was 38, Middleton was 40. Kind of the same boat. Jalen Brown, 
He was ahead, 36. Maybe not as durable, so I can understand maybe you'd lean the other way. Brandon Ingram, right behind Randall. Darren Fox, farther down the board. Christian Wood, somewhat of a question mark. John Morant. It's a weird section of the draft that kind of falls into the back end of that what do we do between 22 and 30 range. Because now you got to reach down the board. But if you go far enough, you can find a whole bunch. Drew Holiday has an ADP of 41. He was number 20 on a per-game basis last year. If he's even close to as healthy as Randall this season, he beats him. Tobias Harris, he was 28 last year on a per-game basis. Beat Randall by a round there and is generally pretty damn durable. Yeah, I'd rather have Tobias than Julius Randall in a Roto League. Clint Capella, certainly not as durable, but was number 26. Beat him by a round last year. John Collins, who everybody hated, actually was only about eight slots behind Randall last season. Would I take one over the other? No, I actually think they're going to be pretty close this year. Miles Turner, injury risk? Yeah. Early second round per game? Yep. Rashawn Holmes, right in there as well. Holmes was 33. He beat Randall by five slots last season. Kristaps Porzingis, who almost was the guy I talked about on today's show. He was number 21 last year. And now you're getting into, like, the end of the fourth round. So presumably you don't have to go this far down the board. But all that's to say, Julius Randle doesn't belong where he's going. And the way he gets there, extreme durability, is about the riskiest thing to bank on, on Fantasy Draft Day. I know what you're saying, Dan. You preach finding the guys with the 10th category. I do. But that should be... The cherry on top. That should be the icing on your fantasy cake. You should be finding a guy who hits that mark, your draft slot, their per-game production. And then the durability should be the bonus on top of that. An example of that this year would be getting Bam Adebayo at, like, pick 18 who was number 19 on a per-game basis last year and probably figures to see his role not all that different season over season, but also does have the 10th category. So the per-game is very close to the draft slot and the durability is a bonus. Rudy Gobert, getting drafted around 25-ish, somewhere in that neck of the woods. Last year, per-game, 23, also was very durable. I would even argue Michael Porter Jr. getting drafted around 25 last year was number 27. This year, even if he does that same thing at 27, he actually probably scores more this year, but I got to think the efficiency is a little bit lower. Whatever. We don't want to get into the specifics exactly, but aside from COVID, very durable last year. That's what you should be looking for in your draft slot. Not the guy where if the 10th category hits, then they get there. It should be if the 10th category hits, then they just blow their damn ADP out of the water. That can't be the thing that determines whether or not your pick hits. Please do take a moment, everybody, to rate and review the podcast. I will be forever in your debt. Not kidding. This is so critical, and I've said it every day over the last couple of weeks. This is what powers my individual locomotive. 
So please, if you have a moment, take a second to rate and review the pod. I really mean it. I will love you forever. If you're on a mobile device, click on the podcast app uh, and search for Fantasy NBA Today. You click on the show title and then scroll all the way to the bottom of that screen. If you're on iTunes, navigate to the podcast tab. There is Do the same thing. Search for Fantasy NBA Today. Click on the name of the show, and then there's actually a rate and review button there. If you want to write something, that's fantastic. Uh, a few of you have opted to do that. A number of you lately have just dropped the five stars. Either way, you're awesome. I really appreciate it. It's all I really want from you right now as I do these extra weekend shows. I know we could promo all the stuff going on at Hoopball with the draft guide and the fantasy pass and all this other stuff, but all I really want from you guys is to drop that five-star review and click the subscribe button. It is my everything. And because I promised that um, I would try to find funny reviews to read, um, let's see, Cousin Ant... He's part of the Old Man Squad Army. Army Cousin Ant said, stumbled upon this pod last season and won both my head-to-head and Roto Leagues. Awesome. A lot of it was due to Dan preaching the Old Man Squad mentality. There we go. Consistency, durability, and predictability. I drafted higher floor guys in the early rounds, and it paid off. Thanks, Dan. Proud to draft the boring team again this year. That's what we do here, man. We leave our drafts thinking, well, that was boring. And then we win. Um, oh, wanted to mention, by the way, again, I will be hosting a Discord Q&A for premium subscribers every Monday this season. For those of you that have the Draft Guide or the Brewski 150 by themselves, meaning the a la carte options, you'll have this one coming up tomorrow, preseason Dan Q&A. Everybody else, after the season starts, it's for Fantasy Pass holders. By the way, if you want to get a Fantasy Pass and not have a six-month lock, you can just do it after the first day of the season. Get it on uh, Wednesday morning, and then you can cancel it any month. So it's month-to-month at that point. Uh, For those of you that got it, of course, during draft season, you're locked in because you got all the the B-150 and all that cool draft stuff. So something to throw in there, uh, the Dan Vespers Discord Q&A happening every Monday in our Fantasy Pass Discord. Today we're talking about the ESPN Top 25. We did Yahoo yesterday. I know you guys like it when I go full bore into some player breakdown. I guess I could have probably just jumped straight into the ESPN rankings. But look, we did a lot of this discussion on yesterday's show, and I don't want to repeat myself too much. I will because I realize folks may be listening to this. This may be the first and only show you guys listen to of Fantasy NBA Today, so I'll I'll put my thoughts out there. Um, But ESPN got out of their own way a little bit and put out a real category Head-to-head rank board this year. Congratulations to the folks at ESPN for finally not just doing a one-size-fits-all, mostly points league board, although it is still extremely heavily influenced by their love of points leagues, and it's just nuts in a couple of spots. So let's go through that top 25. If anybody's just outside the top 25, we can give them a little bit of love, uh, but we'll break it on down. By the way, I hate ESPN's UI, but seeing this particular board that people are drafting from makes me want to play all of my leagues on ESPN so that other people can get shoved into the wrong picks by their board. 
Nikola Jokic, number one. Luka Doncic, number two. I have the exact same analysis that we had on yesterday's podcast. Just go back and listen to that one if you want to know what I think about Luka at number two. Things already diverge from Yahoo's ranks by pick number three, where ESPN has Kevin Durant. And here's the thing. I'd love to get on here and say, this is nuts! Which was like my best weird combination of... Ah, crap. Uh, Who did the voice? He plays Larry David's cousin on Curb Your Enthusiasm. He plays uh, Bing Bong in Inside Out. What is that actor's name? Oh, Richard Kind. Richard Kind. Uh, That me screaming there was like the weirdest combination of Richard Kind um, and John Mulaney mushed into one weird voice. Um, But anyway, I'm not going to get on here and scream, this is nuts. Instead, I'm going to tell you that there is actually a path for Kevin Durant to be the number three player in category leagues this year. I don't have the stones to roll the dice on him. But that's your target. That's your upside if it hits. He's probably going to miss no fewer than like 10 to 12 games this season. But KD could very easily be a top five per game guy. He could even be a top three per game guy. If just kind of a quick gander at last year's numbers for KD, if he takes like one and a half extra shots per game, he remember he only took 17.2 shots per game last year. Harden was at 16.7. Kyrie was at 20. Kyrie's 20 is... Kaiser Sozade off into the sky at this point. Do we think, I mean, could KD take three of those 20? Hell yeah, he could. And put Kevin Durant at 20 shots a ball game, and at the clip that he scores, effectively you're adding like another sixth, basically, to what he's already done. That's four points. That's point four threes. That's better field goal percent and free throw percent impact because they're weighted yeah he's basically a top three guy at that point and then with any weird measure of health you know if he plays about the same number of games as the guy behind him he could be the number three player in fantasy would i draft him at three hell no because there's a pretty good chance he misses 15 to 20 games this year the nets don't have anything to worry about nobody's sort of coming for them. The Nets and the Bucks are just going to be fighting each other, and maybe the Sixers up at the top of the East, depending on what happens with this Ben Simmons stuff. So, you know, why push yourself when they need him healthy? But it's this is, as much as I'd love to clown on it, not as completely insane as it might look. James Harden at number four is very reasonable. Giannis at five is completely unreasonable. The only way Giannis gets into the first round if his free throw percent gets up to 72 or higher. It's very straightforward. He needs to improve his free throw percent by 4% or better. And then basically every percentage point he improves it beyond that, he moves another slot up the board. I mean, really, that's where he's at. Every percentage point at the free throw line, Giannis moves up a slot. If he gets his free throw like 75%, he's probably the number five guy. But that ain't happening. So no. Steph Curry at six on the ESPN board is absolute insanity he should be a two i'd say three at the absolute latest given you know james harden possibly being very very good this year again 
But at six, that's dumb. Cat and Dame, those guys are always going back-to-back in pretty much every draft I've been in, and they belong back-to-back. So seven and eight is fine on the ESPN board. Pick number nine is Niko Vucevic. What? I know by totals he was number four last year, but that's the totals bump. He played 70 games with a per-game rate of, he was tied with Cat, basically, at number 10 slash 11. That's not holding year over year. He's not taking 20 shots a game this season on that Chicago Bulls roster. That's coming down to probably 17. He's probably going to get the Harden KD treatment, which is you're going to get around 17 shots a game now. Take away a bunch of that usage. Yeah, the rebounds stick, but points, threes, assists, his solid free throw percent, all of that stuff dials back. On Vooch. Not to say that I don't think he's going to have a really good season, because he was very, 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 very good last year. And there was a pretty good drop-off behind Cat down to Beal uh, and Turner and Tatum and Giannis and Freddie Van Fleet last season on a per-game basis. So even if there is that drop-back, you're probably looking at Vooch. You know, he's probably inside the top 18 this year per game, maybe top 20, 22 at the absolute worst for him. And then if he's durable, yeah, sure, he can get back towards that turn area. But why on earth would you take him here? When the guy right behind him, Jason Tatum, who's likely to be better this season while not battling COVID and then all the after effects of it, those two guys probably more or less flip-flop season to season. Tatum also very durable. So, you know, that there's that element of it as well. Uh, to me, Jason Tatum's the guy that could push into that top five or six because of a totals bump. And then it's Irving, or sorry, it's uh, Vooch, I should say, that could push into the top 11, 12 range by totals. So those two guys kind of flip roles this year. No idea why Vooch is ahead of Tatum on this board. Trey Young at number 11 is the absolute joke of the century. If you're not punting turnovers, and I cannot stress this enough, everyone in head-to-head is punting turnovers now. You can win them by just not being horrible. There was like, oh, you can't get assists without having turnovers. That's not true. Just find some assist guys who are better than like two to one assist ratio. Just don't draft Harden or Trey or Luka. You can still win assists unless you go up against a team that has Harden, Trey, and Luka. Then you'll lose them, but you'll very easily beat that team in turnovers. But like Jokic, his was 2.7 to 1 assist-to-turnover ratio. Dame was actually 2.5 to 1. Chris Paul was 3.5 to 1 assist-to-turnover ratio. These are relatively high assist guys. Jimmy Butler, 3.5 to 1 assist-to-turnover ratio. If that number clicks up just a little bit for your team, you can still have a good passing team that doesn't punt turnovers. DeMar was 3.5 to 1. TJ McConnell was uh, almost 3.5 to 1. Freddie Van Vliet was uh, pushing 4 to 1. No, a little under that. There is no reason to take Trey Young this early. The whole I need to punt turnovers thing is so overblown. Uh... Too many people are doing it now. You got to zag when everybody else is zigging. Four years ago, punting turnovers was actually still not that new, but newer, and you could stay ahead of the curve. But it's not anymore. We got to change it up. It's honestly, it's why I gravitated so hard to what Adam King was talking about on this podcast, which was the punt position build. 
You're punting a position. Instead of just punting turnovers, you could punt guard stats or you could punt big man stats. Probably easier that way because there's more shooting guards and point guards and wings and so forth that are available super duper late in the draft. They're just, they're like no centers left after round 10. But punting a position, yeah, you give up a few things, but it's, it flips the board in a way that punting turnovers no longer flips the board. You're competing against half your league when you do that. Bam Adebayo at 12, and it's the only time I'm going to tell you this, ESPN got it better. Because, yeah, Bam's not going to hit that mark on a per-game basis, so it's a little bit dumb to take him at 12, but he's probably going to beat that by totals. And in a second-round pick, guaranteeing a totals win, again, outside of catastrophic injury, you're in good shape. Bradley Beal at 13, I'm good with that. Paul George at 14, AD at 15, I'm good with those. So ESPN, a couple couple of relatively normal ones here. Uh, pick number 16, De'Aaron Fox. Okay. Oh, where do we even begin with this one? Um, you guys know I'm lower on Fox than some. Uh, he was obviously much better down the stretch last year than earlier in the season. In the last half of the year, he was number 46 in nine category leagues, but it actually wasn't turnovers that was the reason that he was so far or that he was still that far down the board. In fact, punting turnovers only moved him up by nine slots into third round. Sorry, first pick of the fourth. He was number 37 if you punted turnovers last year in the second half of the season. He took 20 and a half shots per game over that stretch. I don't know how he could possibly keep up a higher volume than that over the course of the year. I think if you're projecting kind of a best-case scenario if you're for Fox, it's about 20 shots a game. 27 points, three boards, seven and a half assists, 1.7 steals. The problem with Fox is free throw percent. So the thing about this board that makes no sense to me is, are we punting turnovers or are we punting free throws? We can't, you can't have it both ways. Trey Young at 11, being super high like that, it seems to indicate that the ESPN rank board is punting turnovers. And even then, he didn't get that high. Trey, without turnovers, was number 22. So you're still... 11 slots back of that. But if you then add on a free throw punt, then Trey goes way back down the board again to number 50. So which is it, ESPN? You cannot have it both ways. Julius Randle at number 17. We just talked about him. That's that's dumb. 18 for Jimmy Butler. That's way too late for James. James Butler. It's way too late. I know he missed a lot of ballgames, and he always does. And for head-to-head, that's kind of a pain in the butt in a way that it's less of a pain in Roto. But this guy was number three the second half of last year and number eight over the entire season. He beats 18 on a per-game basis with his eyes closed. LeBron James at number 19 again suggests maybe we are punting free throws on this format. Joel Embiid at number 20. I'm not drafting Joel Embiid anywhere, but sheesh, if he's at 20, I am absolutely drafting Joel Embiid. This is this is like the all-time overreaction board from ESPN. What, what, this is like complete nonsense. It's complete and total nonsense. And again, 
they are claiming this is their categories scoring board. I don't think that they tell me if it's 8-cat or 9-cat. But uh, Embiid had three turnovers a game last year. So punting turnovers actually helped him a little bit. Didn't help him as much as some other guys. Like his overall ranking stayed about the same. Embiid was a top five per game guy last year. Even missing 20 ball games, he was number 16. 21, actually. And that discrepancy matters because if he played one more game, he probably was number 15. If he played two more games, he was probably number 14. Like he was legitimately two games away from being number 14 by totals, which is still missing 19 games. And I get it, again, on the head-to-head side, that's a crazy headache. But mid to late second round? Embiid should very easily be in front of Anthony Davis. Even if you disagree on every other name on the board. AD was not good last year, and he's having free throw yips. That's nuts. Rudy Gobert at 21, that's good. Demonis Sabonis at 22. You're not going to do a whole lot better than there than Demonis there based on who else is off the board. Russell Westbrook at 23. Again, what are we punting here? Everything? I don't follow. Chris Paul at 24. This is where I thought he'd be this year. Those of you guys that listen to this podcast in the offseason, which I realize is not, that's like a third of you, maybe even less, um, compared to how many people are listening right now going into the start of the season, it's actually probably more like a quarter. There's a lot of you that show up this last two to three weeks. During the offseason, I said, and I can't totally quote myself, but I can almost quote myself. I said two great seasons out of Chris Paul will drive up his price tag a little bit. Now, two seasons ago, he was getting drafted near 40, and we pounced all over that because there was just no way it was going to be that bad. And then last year, he was getting drafted in the mid-30s. Everybody was afraid he was getting flopped over to Phoenix, and then he wasn't going to have his feature role. And we jumped all over that one, and I said, okay, now we've all seen it. He played great. His team went to the finals. Everybody got got to see vintage Chris Paul. He was number 18 per game. He played in 70 out of 72 ball games. He was number five by totals last year. Like a serious league-winning third-round pick. Surely he'll get drafted late second round this season. And then he hasn't been going late second round in any draft anywhere, apparently other than ESPN, who has him as the last pick of the second round. And when I was talking about that in the offseason, I said, if he's really going to go at like 20 to 22, I'm probably passing on him. Because now we've wiped out a lot of that per-game jump. When he was getting drafted at 36, and he had the ability to go per-game at like 15 to 10 range, wow, that was a huge wiggle room for him to miss ball games due to injury. The, the durability thing was a weird and unforeseen side bonus each of the last two years that we happily took but didn't really expect. This year... First of all, deep playoff run short offseason. We have to assume that he's not going to play in 80 out of 82 ball games over the course of this coming season. On top of that, my thought was, if there's any dial back in his game during the regular season, that 18 per game could come down to like 22. And so when I figured he's going to get drafted around there, that finally wipes out the value. This is what I was envisioning. But then Yahoo had him at 
in the early 30s for a while before they moved him up to 26 and now back down to 29. And he just kept falling to me in all of these mock drafts. Nobody was taking him until the late third round. I thought, all right, screw it. I'll do it again. So Chris Paul's actually becoming now sort of a weird defining point for me. If he falls into the middle of the third round, I think you can still take him. But if you need to take him here, as is the case in the ESPN League, that's sort of the earliest I think you ought to go. I took him at 25 in one of my drafts. I thought he paired well with Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. because he took care of steals while maintaining crazy efficiency and shoring up assists. A couple of interesting names outside the top two rounds. Zach Levine at 25. That's basically where you're seeing him go, although I do believe it's a bit early. Devin Booker at 26 is too early. Donovan Mitchell at 27, still a bit too early. Freddie Van Vliet at 28 in ESPN leagues. That's way too late on him. I think there's a weird expectation that he's just going to miss 20 games this season. Uh, But last year was goofy, and hopefully Toronto tries to bring his minutes per game down just a little bit, and uh, then you get him through the mix. My guy Tobias at 29, Middleton 30, DeJounte Murray, ESPN's got him at 31. That kills all of his value. In fact, I don't think he gets that high on a per-game basis this year. LaMelo at 32, he's been uh, tapering off a tiny bit after a crazy buzz run, which maybe I had something to do with it. I didn't have anything to do with it. Michael Porter Jr. at 33, that's too late on him. Surprised that the ESPN's seen the tail off there. Maybe people are afraid of the vaccination thing. I don't know, but I feel like everybody's overreacting to that. Um, And then, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the interesting stuff from outside that top zone. A couple of the extraordinarily buzzy names on ESPN. OG Ananobi going at 49. Like him a lot at 49. That's adding that extra value in. Jaron Jackson at 50. That's a great deal there. Rashawn Holmes at 54 is an extraordinary deal. Spencer Dinwiddie at 55 is maybe the worst pick you could possibly make. That's so early. Yikes. John Collins at 58. That's an easy one. Miles Bridges at 60? I guess they're assuming he's playing 81 games this year. So, you know, when you get into this zone, like, it's easy to cherry pick a little bit. If Miles Bridges is a top 90 player who plays in most ball games, he'll be near top 60 by totals. But that's certainly not who you're trying to pick at the end of the fifth round. Hey, my fifth-round pick, I'm shooting for a top-90 durable guy. No. They've got Draymond Green at 72. That's way too low. Well, ESPN, you did it again. You managed to put out a list that still sucks, even though at least it's categories. It's not entirely a points league. ESPN claims, as it wink-wink-nod-nods, puts De'Aaron Fox at number 16. <laughs> Yeah, sure, we're not a points league. We're just still mostly grading guys without percentages and without turnovers. Whatever. Hey, guys, hit me up. I got a new recruiting pitch for you today. Hoopball is looking for salespeople. Ooh. Exciting stuff, I know. Hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. And let me know you're interested in learning more well, frankly, about anything we got going on here at Hoopball, we're recruiting for all stuff. But today, the pitch is salespeople. We got lots of stuff going on. That's actually an avenue where you could earn a little bit of coin in a way that, you know, goofing around with fantasy, maybe not as much. <laughs> I know, said the guy on a fantasy pod. 
My Twitter, my name is Dan Bespris. It's D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. If you can spell it, you can find me, or you can just Google search Dan from Hoopball, and my Twitter feed lately now is spot number one. Also, really good news. I'll be doing my tweet storms back on Twitter this season, so hopefully you guys enjoy that. Instead, in the Discord, for the premium subscribers... As you guys probably remember, the tweet storm comes out after the games are over at the end of the night. For premium subs, there will actually be a live in-game storm that uh, basically myself and the great Adam King, who you've heard on this podcast before, also a member of the uh, HoopBall leadership team on the fantasy side, we're going to be putting thoughts in there as games are happening. So premium subs get instant and immediate reactions to uh, anything, I shouldn't say everything, because Lord knows we can't cover every game at every minute forever. But most of the time, if something interesting is happening, we'll be there to, to cart you. That's for Fantasy Pass members once the season gets going. Quick shout out to Alan Soroki and the HoopBall YouTube page, which has really picked up in Steam as well. Make sure to check that out. That's youtube.com slash HoopBall. Folks, thanks for listening here on this special Sunday episode of Fantasy NBA Today. Please rate and review the pod. Please subscribe. Hit me up if you want to be a member of the HoopBall sales team and go trim your damn beard with a lawnmower 4.0 at manscaped.com, promo code HoopBall20. Tomorrow, Monday, the D-Bombs. You've been waiting for it. You got it. Dan Vesper's Old Man Squad coming here on Fantasy NBA today on Monday, the last day without real basketball games, fantasy-wise, until mid-April. Whew! We did it, guys. We did it. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.